I mean, I, th I think as an actor, you, your main responsibility is to is to your audience um, because they're the ones that they're the ones that give you the job, really. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the ones that keep you employed. They're the ones that keep you in 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 in, in the movies just by simply going and buying the tickets and, yeah. and seeing the film. Um, but it's always it's it's always important for me for the audience to do something different each time to try to challenge myself each time in terms of uh, coming up with a character you know that that because if you bore your audience you know that's that's about the worst crime you can do in in, <laughs> yeah, in my yeah. in my job Welcome back, film fans, to another exciting, great, fantastic episode of Not A Bomb. This is the podcast where we go back and look at movies that bomb theatrically or just, you know, didn't hit out of the ballpark with the critics and see if they deserve a second chance. Brad, we're talking about one of the biggest box office bombs of all time tonight, right? Yes, we are, Kimasabi. We're talking about 2013's The Lone Ranger. Yes, and to to talk about something so epic, we had to bring a guest on the show. Um, he's well, well, well. Look who decided <laughs> to come back. Yes, Mr. Big Leagues himself. Yeah, he's uh, he's no longer our friend. Apparently, we're just acquaintances because he's famous now. We're a side piece now, Joe. We're a That's side exactly piece, where yeah. we are. <laughs> so we got uh, demoted apparently because of his rise to stardom. You knew him. <laughs> When he was on the show <laughs> as our good friend, Jose. Now, I don't even know how to address you. Um, do you have a formal title now? Or, I think or, it's Your Grace now, right? Your Grace? Mr. <laughs> your Grace? It's none of that. It is still Jose or Cupcake, whichever. Yeah. <laughs> but you, yeah. but I, I started out on, I think I became famous on your podcast. Let's just put it that way. So, <sighs> you know, Troy, we, you know, we dated Jose. <laughs> And, uh, you know, things were going pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, the distance might have, you know, might have played a, long a part. distance relationship for you. Yeah. We were and close, the, but yeah. And then, you know, another hot, young, younger, younger, mm -hmm. we, we should say, yes, uh, host came <laughs> along and, and wooed Jose away from us. So, uh, no, no, Jose, we, we, we love it. We love you. It's it's great because I have a, a Thursday podcast now, so I, I I thank you. So why don't you tell everyone uh, what we're talking about? Oh sure, um, uh, me and a gentleman named Justin who goes by the uh, pseudonym the Cinemasochist. He's actually blogged before under that name and had podcasts before under that name. We started a podcast called Watch Skip Plus, uh, which is a movie review podcast. We do typically. Uh, new theatrical films or new streaming. Uh, we're going to try to keep it current. And then the plus comes from the fact that before we get into the movie review proper, we will share something. It could be anything, um, a lifestyle thing, like a product review, another movie, a TV show, a book that we're reading. Um, so it's just a, it's a fun conversation piece, uh, much like this podcast and the gentleman's guide uh, to midnight cinema. It's really just for movie lovers and, and it's structured kind of like a conversation between the two of us. Um, 
I've only we've only had two episodes, uh, but we are hoping to have more and hoping to grow our community and be a part of of this this podcast community. Yeah, and the yeah. first two film. I mean, it, you've had three episodes in total. Once in an introduction, which was fantastic. I I, I love that you guys kind of took time to talk about how you came into like discovering your love for film, but also how you look at film. I thought that was really fascinating, like how you you judge it and critique it. And then your first official episode was on Bullet Train, which was a great episode, a little misguided on the view, but I but I love the episode. <laughs> uh, yes. My wife might not talk to you for a few days because um, she loved that film. <laughs> and then you follow that up with another fantastic episode and you guys talk about Prey and you have a special guest on there as well who was just absolutely fantastic. I, I love hearing his voice. He's an up and comer as well. Um, yep. He too is misguided on his love of Moon Knight. <laughs> However, I can't hold that against him because he's he's still pretty smart. Yeah, right out right out the bat, he sort of went after you in that, in, that, in the beginning of the episode. I do. I love it. I love all of it. Uh, I I appreciate his passion for the things that he loves, even though it's misguided. Um, <laughs> and I've told him uh, on several occasions that. I have not seen uh, Morbius. I know you guys have have talked about that on his show, um, but when I do, I'm going to force myself to love it because he hates it so much. So stay, stay yes. tuned for Morbius. Yeah, stay tuned. Yes. I think we're going to talk you, Morbius at some point. You you will love it. Um, so uh, we are on uh, Anchor. So if you if you want to, apparently it's hard to to search and find us on Anchor. So it's Anchor.fm backslash watch w-a-t-c-h hyphen skip and then you should land right on our page we do have uh instagram and twitter under watch skip plus so yeah i'll, I'll link it in the show notes yes cool thank you I, thank i'm you. excited for you because i i think you and justin make a fantastic combination um like brad said i'm excited now to have another podcast um to listen to on a regular basis um, thank you thank you guys and I, I like, but that I hope, I hope my films. guest appearances here don't stop either because I, oh, no, I this, this is, is, this is your, this last is like my date. home. So no, this is the last <laughs> one. This is your swan song. Yeah, this is your swan oh. song. <laughs> Make it good, Jose. <laughs> no, I think you're coming back for a few more. Um, we've already yeah. talked about, but let, let's get into this yeah. week. So here we go. Let's do this. Uh, I, it was my pick and I wanted, this has been on the list from the get go because it was one of those infamous films that anytime you do a Google search and you're like, hey, what are the biggest bombs of all times? That This is one of the movies that'll show up there. And I, I think it's a really interesting film as well that I, I, I could not have asked for better people to sit down and talk with, um, with you two, because I'm really curious where you land on this. Well, you have to talk to me every week. So I, I do. And I enjoy it so much. <laughs> but Jose, you, you, as soon as you saw this on the list, you went right for this one, I think. Um, you were yep. pretty excited, right? I, I have a question for both of you. What is your history with the Lone Ranger just as a a character, a cultural icon? I mean, what's your familiarity with him? Zero. Zero? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Okay. How about you, Jose? Probably a little over zero, but near zero. Um, I I I know about the Lone Ranger just as a pop cultural icon, Americana. I think I've seen snippets of old TV shows. Uh, I may have watched half of the eighties movie 
the the Legend of the Lone, Lone Ranger, but I never finished it. And that's about where it stops or starts and stops, actually. <laughs> okay. I might be a tad bit over you because I've seen some of the original TV shows, watched those, um, and, and some of the older films. I had never seen the uh, 80s film until this week because I thought, man, if we're going to do the Lone Ranger, I got to go back and watch that one. And I, I do want to share some thoughts on there. But just, just to level set with everybody, I mean, the Lone Ranger as an American character, I mean, it, it's pretty significant. So it's a, it's a fictional masked former Texas Ranger who fought outlaws in the American Old West with his Native American friend, Tonto. The character has been called an enduring, an enduring icon of American culture. Um, he first appeared in 1933 in a radio show on WXYZ Detroit. The radio series proved to be a hit and spawned a series of books, an equally popular television show that ran from 1949 to 1957, a bunch of comic books, and several films. Clayton Moore portrayed the Lone Ranger on television, although during a contract dispute, Moore was replaced for a season by John Hart when they were filming the TV show, who wore a different style of mask. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that. There's actually some interesting, uh, I don't know, gossip about Clayton Moore and what happened to him as a result of them releasing that 80s film. But we'll get into that when we talk about that. Hmm. But uh, outside of the two main characters of um, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, another kind of significant character within uh, the mythology are the horses. So I'm just going to ask you guys real quick. Do you, do you know the Lone Ranger's horse, what what its name is? Silver. Okay. What about Tonto? I hold Silver away. Yeah. What about Tonto's horse? Yes. No. Okay. It's Scout. Scout huh? is, I don't think Get they mention it in this film. They do mention it in the other film. But so, so there's your, there's your background. Okay. So very significant character for a lot of people growing up in the fifties and sixties. Now, the reason why I was super excited to talk about this, there, there is an ulterior motive here. Not only yeah. does it show up on these lists, um, but the reason why I picked it for the summer is recently I was running through some older articles and uh, Quentin Tarantino had just done a podcast where he's talking about old VHS um, movies because he basically bought you know all the, all the movies in the store that he used to work at, right? And so one of the things that pops up periodically with Quentin Tarantino is he's always talking about his top movies. So in 2013... Quentin Tarantino had picked the Lone Ranger as one of his favorite movies of 2013. So here's his list of 2013, just to give you some context. Afternoon Delight, Before Midnight, Blue Jasmine, The Conjuring, Drinking Buddies, Francis Ha, Gravity, Kick-Ass 2, This is the End, and then finally, the Lone Ranger rounded up the list. No particular order. Those were just what he considered the best films of 2013. Tarantino loves trains. Like Unstoppable by the the Tony Scott film is one of his favorite movies. So he's a he's a train. He's a train guy. guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He likes feet and he likes trains. I didn't <laughs> know I was that. about to say feet and train. Yeah. Trains. Huh. Okay. Learn something every time. So I thought, Brad, with you being. <laughs> the Tarantino fan you are, you would be excited about talking about one of Tarantino's favorite films from 2013. I did read that article. Um, I believe he had that list come out in like October. So there was still a few months in the year left, but and yeah, he still, does champion this movie. Yeah. And it still ended up on the list for the year end too. Yep. Yeah. 
So let's go back to 2013, Brad. How did this sucker do when it was first released on the world? Oh, buddy, let me tell you. Uh, the Lone Ranger <laughs> released January 3rd, uh, 2013, with a reported budgets um, upwards of $250 million. That's a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, yeah. The box office run for uh, the Lone Ranger domestically. Do you know the domestic numbers at all? Did anyone look at them? I th I think I know the worldwide numbers, but I don't know Eight, what. Eighty nine million dollars. It doesn't yeah. make a hundred million dollars domestically. Ouch. Internationally, it fares a little bit better with one hundred and seventy one. So its total box office run is two hundred and sixty million dollars. Reportedly, Walt Disney wrote off a hundred and ninety million dollars. Dollars oh my for this God. movie. Oh, that it, hurts. That hurts my heart. Ouch. And <laughs> when, when I was looking at this, we talk about Walt Disney a lot on this podcast. Yes. John Carter of Mars, The Black Hole, The Black Cauldron. They come up a lot because they do spend a lot of money on movies. And about 10 to 20% of those don't do great. The other 80% do and float the ones that bomb historically like yeah. this. The like other 80, John 90% Carter. make a lot. I mean, let's put it out there. They, they make a lot of money. So yeah. <clears throat> I get, I would say most studios, if they had to write off $190 million like that, that is a rough year to where they might have to sell themselves to Amazon or something. Disney, <laughs> they can take that punch, right? They can. It's, li it's literally the Pareto principle in action. Right. 20%. It, it is, you know, now keep in mind the money for the rest of it. I, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but Lucas and Spielberg, all of them who kind of created the modern day blockbuster had said years ago that this type of film is not good for Hollywood because if a studio continues to crank these out, it will just take, you know, two or three of these that bomb or don't, you know, really do financially well. And all of a sudden the studio is in trouble. And we've seen that play out. I mean, we're seeing it play out with Warner Brothers now where they've even said, hey, for the rest of, you know, 2022, they can they can only afford to release like three movies. That's it um, because they're running out of film or running out of money to promote their films. So that's why you're seeing a lot of this hoopla around what they're doing with DC, et cetera. Disney, however, I mean, they've they've had some pretty big failures, but they can continue going because they just haven't had that consecutive string, I guess. Yeah, it takes it would take Disney five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten failures in a row before they were like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Um, because they they are to say a billion dollar company is almost <laughs> laughable. Oh yeah. Um so yeah, so I, I find that interesting, just that Disney comes up on the show quite a bit. Um opening weekend, and this is again so telling of this movie it makes 29 million dollars opening weekend that's terrible you want this movie if you were spending um what did i say 250 you want this movie to at least make 125 its first weekend like it's got to pull in that big upfront, um especially in the summertime because there's other movies out that are going to take its lunch um and it Brad, did. does does the does your budget number the 250 I I heard that in it addition needed, to it needs six hundred it needed six hundred and fifty million dollars to break even. 
Well, you know, I was saying that um, the production costs that you quoted, did that include, I heard they spent astronomically to advertise as well. And that's above the 250. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. It's all in. I think they had, they had to make, they had to make 650 because you're doing wow. a revenue split and everything. So you're also doing, if you're a 250 budget, it's usually 2x. So you're looking at another 250 on marketing. So that's 500 mm. right there. That's half a billion dollars for mm. the Lone Ranger. Yeah. For the Lone mm. Ranger. And I have wow. a question. Did any of you see this in the movie theaters when it came out initially? No. So that's why I jumped to be on this because I saw it in the theater and I remember coming away from it being like, that was fun. I don't know what everybody is saying is so horrible about it. Okay. Yeah. I did not see so. it in the theater. Um, I, I can honestly tell you right up front when I saw the trailers and, and we'll talk about, you know, some people who made this film as soon as the advertising kicked in and it was from the people who did pirates of the Caribbean and Johnny Depp is Tano. And then you watch that trailer. It was, well, I really have no interest in this whatsoever. And, and to be quite honest, this would have been a first time watch for me had I not, I don't know, accidentally watched it <laughs> beforehand. Um, so How'd you accidentally watch it? I don't know. I was thinking about that because at, at first when I picked this film, it was, well, I got to go buy the Blu-ray. And then I, I, I use my little, you know, uh, chart and it's like, oh no, this is in your collection. So I'm like, it, it is. <laughs> and I went back and sure wah, enough, it's wah. right there. So I'm sure I bought it because, um, the, the time it would have came out on Blu-ray, the kids would have been interested in something like this. Hey, Google, what's the definition of white privilege? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow, yeah. you went Whatever. there, huh? What a, okay. Uh, Johnny pretty, Depp? So, yeah. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice comeback. <laughs> so not only is this one of the biggest uh, bombs of all time, um, Rotten Tomatoes. Now, Jose, I know on your podcast, you do not speak of rotten tomatoes, but mm. when you, when you're looking for an aggregate for um, reviews critically, you have to put a number on it. And that's what we do at this show. So that's why we use it. Um, <laughs> we're looking at 31% critically, less than one third of the credits like this movie um, mm. audience fares a little bit better with 51%. That's with over oh. 25,000 reviews. Wow. A lot of them are, what do you expect? I hate those kind of reviews because I expect a good movie is what I expect. Well, for $250 million, you expect some, some pretty damn good movie. I mean, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Troy, we only, we care, only about care about one, one <laughs> review yes. on this podcast. And it is movie guide movie guide. For those who don't know, is the Christian website that reviews films, not for their quality, but for their contents. And boy, do we have a doozy today. Um, do you want to talk scale about the go, scale? Oh, the yeah, scale goes go. anywhere from plus four to minus four. Um, no zeros. You have to either be on one side or the other. Yeah. Um, and plus four is being the most holy and minus four <laughs> being uh, dressing up as an Indian, um, as a white man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the wait, review, can we guess? Yeah, please guess. Go ahead, Jose. So I'm negative two. I'm going hey, negative Troy. three. It is a negative two. Ooh. Jose. I've never gotten one of these guesses right. I'm terrible <laughs> at this. <clears throat> apparently, I'm a good reformed Christian. I am a terrible <laughs> Christian, apparently. Um, sorry. Go ahead, Brad. Proceed. Okay. Strong, mixed, pagan, religionist, political, politically correct worldview. 
with allusions to spirits who have powers to influence events, anti-capitalist, anti-capitalist elements, anti-patriotic elements and themes, some moral elements. God, they use elements like a hundred times. Some <laughs> overt Christian elements where Christians pray and sing. A man says we are under God. Woman asks main character to pray with her. And main character says John Locke's book is his Bible. And a heresy <laughs> and a moving prayer is said, but by the villain. So the Christian elements are tainted or are tinged with some irony. Oh, yeah. 19. God, that's, how many times do you say the word elements? I bet you they <laughs> yeah. got it. One of those calendars that your word for today is elements. Element, yeah. <laughs> and they threw it right in there. <laughs> 19, 19 light obscenities, four profanities, man urinating, defecation by a horse. Man, dra- <laughs> man dragged through horse defecation and man vomiting extensive action violence where people are killed by guns, pierced by arrows, stabbed with swords and knives and blown up in a man-made explosion. It's implied a man cuts a heart out of another man and eats it. And animals are cannibals. Wait, huh? Oh, the uh, rabbits, <laughs> the jackrabbits. <laughs> is, is, that, is that what they're called? Jackrabbits? That type yeah, of the Monty Python jackrabbits. Is yeah. that it's got teeth that and is it can that jump and I know yeah. I know, but is that cannibalism? Well, were they, they were eating other they eat other, they were eating they the eat other, other animals because they're evil and out of balance or whatever. No, nature. it was eating. So they were cooking a rabbit, and he threw a piece of that rabbit, and the rabbits fought over that piece. Oh, so yes, oh that's right. Cannibals. But didn't eat it, it? The bunny ate something at the end. Too. Yeah, the scorpion. One of the scorpions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My favorite thing in all movies. Upper male nudity throughout because Johnny Depp is shirtless throughout this whole movie. Alcohol use and drunkenness, smoking and greed, cheating, corruption, and moral uh, relativism. Huh. That's crazy. Did it mention hookers? Hookers. There's no no prostitution in this. Uh, 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 Red's yeah. Lounge. I know. Uh, I know. Oh, my God. Okay. <clears throat> Last and certainly not least, films you could have seen in July of 2013. This is might play a part in why the Lone Ranger didn't do well. Uh, so we have films like The Way Way Back or wait, hold on. Not the one I want. Specific Pacific Rim. Okay. Grown Ups 2. Oh. Uh, we have Turbo. Turbo made $356 million. The snail movie? Yep. Okay. Um, then we also have red two nice film. That's getting a sequel for some reason. RIPD, <laughs> uh, blue Jasmine, the Wolverine and the conjuring. Wait, the Wolver James Mangold Wolverine in Japan, the Japanese. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Got it. Got yeah. it. That made half a billion dollars. So it's a great again, movie. This, it is. It is really good. <laughs> the the thing we should point out is this is a summer blockbuster film, and there's only a certain number of those that are going to make a lot of money. Um, and it looks like this one was the one that was left out uh, in the desert, if you will. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. <clears throat> good one. Good one. That's all, that's all my that's all my homework. Okay, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, it. There's a lot of choices that month, and I gotta say, when you read that list out, it's about half and half for me in terms of quality. Um, 
I, I can yeah. definitely see why this one just didn't take off because if if measured against the other stuff, it probably would have fell, you know, in the lower half of the quality scale, to be quite honest. But strangely, this one seems to be the only like grand scale tent pole sort of like design blockbuster, right? Out of a lot of those names, not really. I mean, Red 2, not so much. Wolverine, not so much, maybe. Pacific Rim, um, maybe. Yeah, Pacific Rim. Yeah, I think there was a lot of stuff about I mean, Pacific that, Rim. Yeah, that technically bombed in the US, but I mean, it, it did really well internationally, which got its money back and obviously, you know, got him a sequel. But yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, that this is the spectacle film, but if you look at and that list, no I, yeah, I guess all of those between the Wolverine and the Conjuring that had more spectacle than this from an audience, you know. Was, then uh, you also had films like Despicable Me as well, Despicable Me 2, which made a ton of money, which yeah. made almost a billion dollars. Yeah, so that's like your family film there. So yeah, there's just so many, so many choices um, this summer, and it looked like the Lone Ranger was not the choice for most people. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people forget too. Like, uh, and I can't remember the statistic. We we should research this because they they do publish it. What the average expenditure is for a household um, in terms of movie tickets, and and you'd be surprised. Like the average house will only see you know a handful of movies in the theater per year. It's not like us who are always looking for an opportunity to go. I mean, we, you know, they show something old or there, right? Um, right. <laughs> so when, when you have that many movies coming out in that summer, uh, you're going to have families that pick and choose. And so obviously they didn't pick this one. So <laughs> also that summer, just to put it in context, um, Disney did have Monsters University and it made $743 million. So Monsters University does kind of pick up a lot of the slack that the Lone Ranger um, I think if they don't have it that summer, if Monsters University doesn't come out that summer, um, Disney's feeling it a lot more, but they basically kind of break even on two films, which isn't what you want, but you know, it's yeah. better than losing $190 million. No, it makes sense. Well, let's talk about the people that were working behind the camera and in front of the camera. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Jose. You do such an amazing job in terms of going through the detail uh, especially on the production of a film. So give us the rundown mm -hmm. of the folks involved behind the camera on 2013's The Lone Ranger. Okay, I'll try to keep this short because believe it or not, there's actually a lot of people involved in this that I, I like um, uh, just from a producing and, and creative standpoint. So obviously as a producer, the director, Gore Verbinski, is, is a producer, but Jerry Bruckheimer is the producer of this. And his nickname is Mr. Blockbuster. And I mean, he is literally a prolific film and television hit factory. Um, he started basically in advertising. He was an indie producer in the 80s, producing films like Defiant, Cat People, Thief, American Gigolo. It's on Gigolo that he met Don Simpson and they formed an independent production company together uh, working with Paramount. So Simpson Bruckheimer is the company that they formed and they were behind such 80s iconic films like Flashdance, Thief of Hearts, the Beverly Hills Cop movies, Days of Thunder, and then Troy, who's who's motioning. You listeners, you can't see this, but his eyes are like googly, like a Muppet, and he's motioning. Um, Top Gun. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Top Gun. That's right. You're welcome. Um, now, oddly enough, it was the sort of box office fizzle of Days of Thunder that sort of saw 
Simpson and Bruckheimer, like Paramount was sort of like, nah, we don't know if we want to keep going with with this relationship. And so they eventually moved to Disney. And in 90s, they were putting out um, Disney films uh, also distributed through Paramount, The Ref, Bad Boys, Crimson Tide, Dangerous Minds, The Rock. Um, and then eventually Bruckheimer, uh, I'm sorry, Simpson Bruckheimer eventually got dissolved. And sadly, in 95, Don Simpson died. Um, which curiously enough, when I saw Top Gun Maverick, it opens saying Simpson Bruckheimer. And I'm like, this can't be right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but obviously it was, it was a nod to the fact that Maverick opens exactly the same way that Top Gun opens sort of as an homage in some ways. And just to cue the, you know, viewers back, um, and then he, Bruckheimer started dipping into television. So he was behind CSI, Amazing Race, Without a Trace, Cold Case. Um, he's also known as sort of a franchise force. So we have the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, obviously, that sort of synthesis there is what led to The Lone Ranger. It's the same director as the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, or at least the first three, that is. Bad Boys, National Treasure. There were two National Treasures movies. Um, so... This film was released around the time of, of the height of his sort of uh, producing power. And then after that, there was just these Disney movies that kind of didn't do well at the box office. Prince of Persia, The Sorcerer's Apprentice with uh, Nicolas Cage, which, by the way, I love that movie. So if you ever do that, I will come on for that. It was a huge bomb, but I thought it was great. Not surprised. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, The Lone Ranger became uh, the bomb. And then, I mean, Bruckheimer is still a pretty powerful producer and still producing, but I think the sheen has sort of come off of his blockbusters. Um, our writers first, we'll start with the writing partner duo ship of Ted Elliott and Terry Rosio. They obviously were the people behind writing the first pirates of the Caribbean. Um, those two in particular as writing partners have been credited for films like Aladdin, little monsters, Shrek, mask of Zorro, small soldiers, the national um, treasure movies. Um, so obviously they they know what an audience like they know, they know like entertainment value they've written for Disney they've written for other studios as well. There is some departures though with their writing writing partnership. Terry Rosio in particular has made excursions into uh, writing television, writing movies like Deja Vu. He's also behind Godzilla vs Kong and he's scripting the Godzilla vs Kong sequel. Um, and then. Don't uh, ask that guy. Don't ask that guy about what vaccines do to kids. It's he's got a horrible sort of controversy around that. Roseo. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, but yeah. I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> but, hey, guess what? Uh, we got some problematic people on this episode. Yeah, I would say. And then uh, uh, Ted Elliott, he sort of took sojourns into like uh, writing video games and shorts and animation stories as well. Curiously enough. Ted Elliott um, started as a spell checker and proofreader for Roger Ebert's movie reviews, um, or that was one of the jobs that he held. Rosio actually had a former job inspecting machine parts, and suddenly now they're writing uh, Hollywood movies. The other writer credited is Justin Haight. I think that's how you pronounce it, but it's spelled H-A-Y-T-H-E. He only has eight writing credits. Uh, Revolutionary Road, the Sam Mendes movie with Kate... Uh, uh, Titanic Kate, I'm drawing a blank on her name now, and Leonardo DiCaprio, also Kate, Titanic Kate Leo. Winslet. Winslet. Yes. Yeah. Winslet, yes. Uh, Snitch, the uh, Dwayne Johnson movie, and then he went on to write 
A Cure for Wellness and Red Sparrow as well. Uh, music by Hans Zimmer. I don't think we have to talk about Hans Zimmer. He's fantastic. Um, the DP is one of my favorites, the director of photography. This is a gentleman named Boyan Bazelli. He is a graduate of the Prague Film School. Um, and his uh, start in movies is fantastic. He graduates from Prague Film School. He moves to L.A., Abel Ferrara picks him for China Girl. That's his first movie. And then from that, I mean, he just takes off. He would go on to lens King of New York and Body Snatchers for Ferrara. Um, and then he did a lot of commercials. He's worked with Gore Verbinski before on The Ring and A Cure for Wellness. Um, his resume is incredibly diverse. Music videos for Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson, and just listen to some of the films that he shot. He really has an eye for like light and darkness and and new techniques. He shot Pumpkinhead, Boxing Helena, Dominic Senna's uh, California, the musicals Hairspray, Burlesque, and Rock of Ages. And he's even done action films, Six Underground for Netflix, the recent Snake Eyes, and then, of course, the the recent sort of Unseen, which I think people really need to check out, Underwater, starring Kirsten Stewart. Yeah. Um, That's Kirsten on list. Stewart, that was yeah. fantastic. And it shot, he shot the hell out of that movie. Um, so, yeah, Boyan, he's great. Production designer, there are two. Jess, Jess Goncher. Um, he is the production design weapon of choice for the Coen brothers. I mean, he's done practically most of all of the Coen brothers movies, no country for old men, burn after reading a serious man inside Lewin Davis, uh, true grid, hail Caesar, ballad of Buster Scruggs. He's also production designed Fox catcher, quiet place Two, um, Batflex, uh, live by Batflex, sorry, uh, Ben Affleck's live by night and then fair game, the Doug Lyman Valerie Plame spy movie, not the oh, Cindy Crawford yeah, yeah. sex and explosions fair game. <laughs> and then the other production designer that I wanted to spotlight is one of my heroes, Mark Crash McCreary. Um, this is one of the few films where he he's credited with doing production design, but he has a BFA in, illustra in illustration from Pasadena Art Center College of Design. And he grew up fascinated by nature and drawing and dinosaurs. And as a kid, he said, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to do dinosaurs. Well, it turns out that he met Stan Winston and plied his trade as a creature designer, a concept artist, and an illustrator. So working with Stan Winston Studios, he worked on films like Edward Scissorhands, Terminator 2, Tank Girl, Congo, Interview with the Vampire, Island of Dr. Moreau, Relic. And again, he's in a sort of a creature and makeup design and concept art, um, which, you know, they draw out the concepts. And then, of course, production design or special effects are based on that. And then eventually he worked on and helped to render the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park and then all of those sequels as well. So Crash McCreary it was usually a name that was whispered with like Steve Spaz Williams, if you have, you know, if you heard that mm -hmm. and dove into the whole Jurassic Park stuff. He's also done um, concept stuff for AI, Galaxy Quest, Small Soldiers, Van Helsing, Rango. He helped design the butt weasels from Dreamcatcher. I mean, the man's a genius. So I, I love Crash McCreary. He's amazing. Um, and that brings us to, uh, well, I also wanted to spotlight the makeup artist, Joel Harlow. Um, he has been a makeup artist work and visual effects artist working on tons of genre projects. 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Star Trek, Black Panther, Hellboy, Godzilla, King of Monsters, uh, the series Evil on um, on CBS, uh, which is now on their streaming service. But he is behind the makeup here and helped to design um, some of uh, our Johnny Depp's makeup, which was inspired by a painting called I Am Crow by Kirby Sattler. Um, as the story goes, Depp saw that painting and was like, I want to base the look of Tonto on this. And Harlow created that. If you, you know, if you Google Kirby Sadler, I am Crow, you'll see the painting. It's very spot on. Well, they, um, copy, they literally copied it. Yes. So not even inspired. They no. pretty much copied it, but they, they licensed it from Sadler. So Sadler had oh, their permission. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's couched as inspired by, by the way. And that, that leaves us with director Gore Verbins, Verbinski, who's Polish. His first Gregor. Real, uh, Gregor is Gregor. So he goes by Gore. Um, hails from the exotic country of Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where his father was exotic. a nuclear physicist. Exotic indeed. <laughs> um, his father is actually a nuclear physicist who worked at the Oak Ridge National Laboratory. That's still open now. They're working on like environmental things, engineering, stuff to help the world and the planet. Um, apparently he was inspired by Kafka and Black Sabbath. So he has, uh, you know, dual interests in both music as well as creating. He was apparently in a couple punk bands before he decided to be inspired by filmmaking. Uh, yeah, he, got did, he, got, he broke his teeth on, on doing a lot of punk videos. So, yes. So he uh, got his BFA from uh, UCLA film school. Okay. And then he did the music videos for a bunch of like hard rock, punk rock bands won an award for some of his commercials, including the the Budweiser croaking frogs commercial from 93. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he he won several awards for that. Famously, he doesn't like publicity. Um, and then going back to his music, he actually wrote and produced the songs that were featured in Rango, the animated movie he directed. And he played guitar um, on a, a few selections of the score for the third Pirates movie. So directing-wise, his first film was um, Mouse Hunt with Nathan Lane, which was a, a pretty big family success, actually. Very cartoonish, it's a very really well good shot. Film too. I really What's like that? that. It's a really good film too. I, I yeah. really enjoy it. It's fantastic. I mean, it really showed off his talent in terms of, of visual. He follows up that with the Mexican, which I, I don't know. Well, see, I think it's an underappreciated film. I, I, it was weird to go from mouse hunt to something small and quiet, like the Mexican. Uh, basically it's, it's a three actor, a three lead, lead film, basically Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, James Gandolfini. But I, I fell in love with it. I loved it. He follows that up with the American remake of the ring itself based on the Japanese J horror film Ringu, um, the, which starred Hiroyuki Tsunada, um, who was in bullet train and a bunch of other films. And then he follows that with pirates of the Caribbean um, he also did the film The Weatherman with Nick Cage, Rango, the animated film we talked about. Johnny Depp was also in that. And then that brings us to 2013's Lone Ranger, which apparently landed him possibly in movie jail because his next movie is until three years later, the very brilliant and underappreciated A Cure for Wellness, which visually uh, Boyan Bazelli shot the hell out of that. It's beautiful. It's gothic. It's wonderful. I think people don't give it its credit. And that's where his resume seems to end. It looks like he's in pre-production for something, but it is, again, it is very possible that this film followed up by the bombing of a cure for wellness landed him in. in we we will, actually, I, 
I don't know. Career for Wellness is, is will be on the show at some point. Yeah, time. that needs to be on the list because yeah. we we I just recently saw that this year. Oh, uh, I love maybe it. about two months so ago. Good. I will reserve my comments yeah. <laughs> when we talk about it. All I will say, Jose, is I think you might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. So what he's trying to say is no way, Jose. No way, Jose. No uh, way, Jose. Indeed. <laughs> I I will say this. I am super excited to revisit it because my initial viewing of that. It's one of those films, it's very dense, and the ending is super dense, and I had to go back and read a lot of articles in terms of what's going on, what are they trying to say, what does that little smile mean at the end of it, um, is there anything, so I do want to revisit it because I think that's a film that on multiple rewatches you would get more out of it, but I got to tell you, the first time watch, it's rough, it was rough. Yeah, it's overwhelming, and and the the third act feels so gothic and from a completely different film. But that's why I love it, Gonzo. I I think I think (laughs) as a director, I think he struggles with presentation over storytelling, meaning he has a tendency. and, And Cure for Wellness is a great example. He has a tendency to want to show off the movie so much that he forgets about telling the story cohesively. Um, now when he nails it, he nails it, but then sometimes I think the visuals will overshadow the, the basic storytelling elements. Um, that's, yep. o- that's my only criticism, even of his blockbuster stuff like pirates. I agree. Actually. Oh, so, so how do, how do we talk about some of these people in front of the camera? Oh, okay. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> listen, we're not going to get into all of the, I, I don't know what you call it, like craziness outside of the movie making. But I do want to start with a question. This is a movie called The Lone Ranger, but the the actor for The Lone Ranger is not the top build star. It's in fact Tonto, Mr. Johnny Depp himself. I'm going to start with you, Brad. What's your general, I don't know, take on Johnny Depp in, in terms of acting um, or, or the products that he has appeared in? I enjoyed Johnny Depp up until I felt like he became like a parody of himself. So I think, I think it was Alice in Wonderland, which was like 2010 where his sheen started to wear off for me. Um, Like I think sleepy hollow is one of the most underrated films of all time. I think that movie is brilliant. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite go-to Halloween movies. I think it's brilliant. He is amazing in that movie. You go back to something like, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Oh, God, um, yeah. So good. Fear and Loathing, uh, Dead Man, like Ed Wood. Like Ed, Ed Wood in 94 uh, is Ed, probably Ed one of my favorite films um, that he's done. Yeah. And, and even that first Pirates, like I think that Jack Sparrow was a revelation for him. Um, he then ran it directly into the ground. But <laughs> I, I think everything up until like 2010 um, Sweeney Todd's another one. Like I'm not a musical person, but I liked Sweeney Todd. I thought he was okay in that, uh, Michael Mann's public enemies. It should have been better, but you know, whatever. Um, so I've always liked him. I will say I have met Johnny Depp before. Um, he is, his parents lived 
not too far from my parents. Um, and I have met Johnny Depp on several occasions. Oh, um, so he is a he is a Kentucky guy. Um, he is from Owensboro, actually. And so his parents lived in Lexington um, for a time when I was in high school. So anyway, yeah, as an actor, I think Depp has definitely some of the most iconic I mean, Edward Scissor, like we're not even like he's got so many that you'll forget one. And then someone will say, well, but remember this one. And you're like, oh, yeah, he was brilliant in that. Um, but then he kind of runs his course. And I think um, he starts doing a lot of stuff because he's getting he comes he becomes an actor that demands 20 to 25 to 30 million dollars plus points. And so, you know, you're looking at paying this guy 50 million dollars for a movie. Um you know, it, he is what it is. I mean, get your money, I guess. But at some point in time, he just kind of feels like a sellout. Okay. What about you, Jose? Where do you land on Johnny Depp? He's always had very interesting choices and he's always had really, really great performances. And I think what I like about him as an actor is that um, although, as Brad said, he is a little overshadowed by the more uh, Tim Burton-esque roles where he sort of disappears behind makeup or he's sort of like a caricature. If you look at the other films like maybe Blow or, you know, ben, uh, Benny and June or even the the recent The Tourist with Angelina Jolie, um, you can really see an actor working like you can see the cogs working underneath there and and, and him really taking risks with roles. Um, but I, I'm sort of with Brad. I just he I was I got overshadowed by his, you know, Tim Burton-esque, like Dark Shadows, Edward Scissorhand stuff. Um, and I forgot him as the actor in like, you know, Secret Window or, um, you know, the Ninth Gate that he did. Um, some I have of those to, performances I have, I have are to, actually pretty good. But I have to ask. Because I, if you're good, if there's going to be one person, it's going to be you, Mordecai. Do you like it? <sighs> oh boy, I haven't seen it. I just I've heard it's terrible, but I'm. It made me laugh. Oh, it made me laugh. Of course it did. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I can't. I you guys, guess I can't, I'm, I can't, I'm an I'm, easy I'm, sucker. I'm an easy target, and Mordecai was an easy. That trailer looked I, terrible. Like I, when I saw that trailer, it was like there's no way. I, I mean. No. I will add that I also laughed in Holmes versus Watson or Holmes and Watson, the um, <laughs> the John C. Riley. Yeah. So, but I I didn't mind Mordecai, and and again, like I think I, we'll talk about it more when we get into the Lone Ranger. He has a Chaplin esque quality to him, and for physical comedy, and um, it, it's a gift, and it worked in Mordecai. <laughs> so, question mark. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I. I'll say this. Apparently, apparently Johnny Depp made an appearance last night at the MTV movie awards or music awards. Yeah. He, they put his, I, I don't know. He, he didn't make an appearance. He oh, was okay. a, they had the floating spaceman um, over the stage and then they put his image um, within the helmet. So he's not in there. It's just a oh. recording of him. That makes that, it look like that's a might. little weird. Wow. Yeah, He's up Why? there. He's well, he's doing a joke like, Hey, I'm available for birthday party. I mean, he's making oh, a whole joke. Yeah. Over his, yeah, because okay. now Amber Heard's side is all upset that he was making fun of that. And anyways, I, I'm not going there. Listen, yep. <laughs> Johnny Depp, uh, 1980s, 1990s 
is fantastic. I, I mean, I even like Nick of Time, 1995, with him and Christopher Walken. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah I mean. Yes, John he, Badham, so I, good. I agree with everything you guys said in terms of the choice of roles that he was picking. I think as as much as I do enjoy him in the first Pirates of the Caribbean film, was that 2003? That's when I started not liking Johnny Depp from then on to where I really think, I, I don't know if it, if it's the acting or the talent just ran dry. And I know this is terrible, but I remember seeing there, there was the show. Was it James Lipton did the inside the actor studio? Yeah. So I think Depp was on there early two thousands. And I, and I watched that interview because this was right around when pirates is coming out. And I was really fascinated with his response up until the point that he just started coming off pompous. Um, and it, and it always cracks me up because I do know that he's from Kentucky, but if you were to look at him and how he carries himself and rolling his cigarettes, he's, he's really trying to put off this European, um, vibe within his personal appearance. And for whatever reason that rubs me the wrong way, like, dude, you're from Kentucky. Shut, shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> what, what is that supposed to mean? Troy? No, can, I can't me, roll my own cigarettes. All you know, the, Vincent did that in Pulp Fiction. Oh. Well, well, wait, wait. I think Troy. No, I, know. Is it, I know what he's trying to say. I was going to say, Troy. Is it? Is it that there are some actors that maybe take the craft a yeah. little too seriously, it's a and then jo- so if I would look at it this way, if we were talking about, and again, this is the pragmatic side of my personality. If I do my best to avoid the personal things that go on with actors or actresses or even getting to know them to a certain degree, because in in my head, I'm like, yep, that's going to influence what I think about their performance. So when I see somebody who goes, man, all these people I know from Kentucky, they're just really nice people. Kentucky for, I don't care what anybody says, all of the people, Louisville, Lexington, all the places I've been to, some of the nicest people ever, some of the most down to earth people ever. And then to have a person come from that environment and go, uh, oh, my craft elevates me and, and really carries himself above it all, that really rubs me the wrong way because I like the Gene Hackmans and the Tommy Lee Jones of it who are like, it's a job. I go out, I do my job, that's what it is, right? Um, Bruce Campbell, if you ever meet him, in per- he's the most personable, likable guy ever. And to me, I, 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 that- it, Bruce Campbell and, I, I, I love Bruce Campbell. I know. He's not Johnny and Depp. He's not okay. Johnny Depp in terms of acting <laughs> skills, et cetera. But I think they look at it from the same prism of a work ethic and everything else. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, acting, I can never do it. it. There is a talent and skill to it, but it would be the same thing in a business nature. Like, I, I don't like any of, of the C-suite people, the CEOs, CROs, CFOs, all of those who carry themselves where they look down on people. And for whatever reason, Johnny Depp has always given that persona in interviews, and it could just be me reading into it. I just don't like it. But if I were to kind of grade him on his output post 2003, I, th- I think it's just garbage. Like I can't, everything that he's been in since then, I would say that's the weakest part of the film. But leading up to that, I would have said, man, that guy's just gonna, he's gonna be the next um, Al Pacino. He's, he's gonna be that of that caliber to where everything he touches, you're always gonna enjoy it because of what he's been into it. But for whatever reason, Pirates of the Caribbean for me is that line in the sand where it goes, everything post-2003, I really don't enjoy him in. But again, that's 
That's my take on it. No, fine. Yeah. Each his own. Uh, that leads us to Army Hammer, which we've talked about a lot ad nauseum when we reviewed Man from Uncle. Just to give a little bit of context, this comes out in 2013. So leading up to it, Social Network is 2010, which he gets a lot of accolade for that. And we talked to Man from Uncle, which is 2015. So that's where the Lone Ranger sits in his filmography. Uh, this one is an interesting actor, William. I think. What? Hold on. Yeah. The performance he does in so the Social Network is it's fantastic. It is. I, I, it's brilliant. I don't want to short that. Like that is such a great performance, and it's a shame. Well, we'll forget it. Forget just, that. Let's go, just go, say no, this: or we're not talking about yeah, that. We're are not we? talking yeah. about that. Army <laughs> Hammer has delivered some great performances, and we have talked about our love for him as an actor, as an actor, I mean, mm -hmm. as an actor, um, when we talk about man from uncle. So if you want to hear about our thoughts on army hammer, go back and listen to that episode. It's a great episode. People listen. It's a great film. I mean, I, I feel like yeah. we end mm -hmm. up watching yep. it once a year now. Um, I love that movie. Sorry. William Fickner is butch Cavendish. So uh, he is through and through a character actor. He's been in a lot of films. When you see him, you recognize him. I, I thought it was interesting. In 2013, he did Phantom, The Lone Ranger, and Elysium. And then he follows that up with The Horseman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, the Michael Bay one. Um, what, do you, what do you guys, what's your take on him? I, I really enjoy him. Like when I see him, I think he's a lot of fun, but I think he's one of the great modern character actors. Great villain. Usually nice, yeah. plays a nice heavy. Yeah, he does. Great heavy. It's really good. Yep. You and your friends are dead. That's one of my favorite <laughs> lines in The Dark Knight. That's one. He is in possibly the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, stop. It, you know, it can't be. What is it? What? Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet is probably the worst movie I've ever seen. No, 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 no. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I own it. And it's not as bad as uh, that film that your wife made us watch this year. The, oh, my boss's daughter? daughter yeah come on yeah. dude okay. if, if you oh god if you're my boss's about daughter is torture I, tell me about it <laughs> i watched it this year i own a copy for whatever reason i actually own a copy to tell my kids look i believe this i believe this character that movie his name is garth do what his garth? name is garth in ultraviolet i believe okay anyway no i, I think he's great awesome. he's fantastic he's Anything he's in, if I see his name in the credits, I'm like, well, I know I'm going to like him yeah. if I don't like the rest of it. Um, yeah, like Contact. He was also on that sitcom Mom. He was great on that show. I, I think, he, the, you know, he's underrated as a comedic actor. I mean, obviously, he brings comic he's tones. He's got range. But, I mean, he, he does yeah, the heavy really range. well, but I really love the fact that as a character actor, he's got a lot of range. He was the heavy in Drive Anger, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Love that movie. Which has Amber <laughs> of Heard in it, right? <laughs> I know. I know. She's okay. on the poster, but, yep, yep, but still. It's Let's talk about Tom Wilkinson okay. plays um, Cole. He's our other villain. Uh, uh, spoiler. 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 <laughs> so we've got, I'm sorry. Anytime I see Tom Wilkinson, I immediately think of the full Monty from 97. Brilliant yep. film. He's brilliant in it. And also he follows that up the next year with another banger rush hour in 1998 with Jackie Chan uh, this year, 2013. I believe full Monty is 25 years old. Like today, like 
right right now or something like that. Is it the oh 25th anniversary? I think so. Oh my gosh. I saw, I saw, I saw that, that in the theater. Holy God. Yeah, I saw it like two or three times in the theater. It was fantastic. It, I know. It was so too. funny. My God, it was so good. For obvious reasons. Show me that dong. Well, I didn't go for that. I thought, oh, okay. Moving on. 2013, Tom, Tom was working. He did uh, Bell, uh, Felony, which was a TV film. And then the following year does The Grand Budapest Hotel, another great film, and Good yep. People. Uh, Tom, Tom's another one that he's, man, talk about range. He can do everything, comedy, drama, can do the heavy, um, deliver the emotion. I, he's, he's an, I am super, I was super excited when I finally kind of sat down to watch this when I remembered that you had William and Tom in this film, because I think those are, are two great character actors. It can elevate a lot of crappy content. Yeah. Another guy that was in a, the, the Nolan Batman films. He was uh Falcone in Batman Begins. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, what he, was that Oscar nominated film he did with like Sissy Spacek? I forget. Um, I uh, forget what it was called. Anyway, he played the father. He, yeah. he was really, really good in it. Solid. Yeah. We've got Ruth Wilson as Rebecca Reed. Um, now leading up to this, I, I saw her filmography again. She doesn't stick out in a terms of a lot of films or TV shows. Uh, meaning when I go through filmography, I, there are a couple that I remember seeing, but leading up to this, uh, the year before she did Anna Karenina, the Lone Ranger was in 2013. And also in 2013, she did saving Mr. Banks. You too familiar with her work or I, I got a, She's a blind spot for me. Yeah. I didn't recognize her very much. And I, I was like, I would remember this face because she has a face that's very recognizable, but I don't remember. I don't know her at all. Is she in that show? The affair. I have no idea. I have not seen that. Ask me anything about the affair. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think and she's in that show. The, the affair, um, which is where I know her from. Um, I always get confused with Rebecca Ferguson too. I mean, she just has that Rebecca Ferguson look really, because I think Rebecca Ferguson is very gorgeous and should have played Lara Croft. I'm in love with her, but I don't think she looks like Ruth Wilson, but, um, Oh, she was in his dark materials. I forgot about that. Yeah. I've seen that. So, um, okay. No, she's not in the, no, she is in the affair. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right. That's where I know her from. And then the Luther series with um, Idris Elba. Oh, I heard that was oh, good. Yes. I heard that was good. Yeah. We've yeah. got James Badgedale as Dan Reed. It, now he was busy in 2013 with Iron Man three world war Z, the lone ranger and Parkland. Love that guy. He's chase from 24. Oh, he will always be chase from 24. Wasn't he in that uh, <laughs> Netflix? Like when Netflix was early on doing like exclusives, was there a film called spectrum that he was in an action film? Or Spectre. Spectral. 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 That's what it was. Yeah. Spectral. I really like Also that. shot, by the way, by Boyan Bazelli. Hello. Yeah. Hello. That's a fun um, film. But James Badgedale was also in, um, oh God, is it 12 hours? 13 hours. Uh, 13, sorry. 12 strong, 13 hours. Yeah. I apologize. He was in 13 hours. Yeah. He's he's a fantastic actor. Yeah. He's also on um, Hightown on Stars. Okay. Playing an addict. Very good. Last but certainly not least, Helena Bonham Carter as Red Harrington, which we'll we'll get to her when we talk about the film. But little context, nominated for Best Supporting Actress in The King's Speech, 2010. Also nominated for Best Actress in The Wings of the Dove in 97. Criminally, criminally overlooked for 1999's Fight Club in terms of an Academy Award nomination, oh, in yes. my opinion. Yep. 
Um, I think the raunchiness of that role prevented the nomination. Yeah, and, and that's but, and that's just stupid. It's stupid because she's amazing in that. Film. She's so, an amazing actress all around. So so can, can I ask a question? This might be really dumb, but that's OK. I'm not a smart person. Her name is Red Harrington. And we all it. know we all know what a red herring is, right? Like a <laughs> like a device that miss like a a herring is was something that the the origins of that is herring is something that would uh, take the the smell off of stuff for for dogs. So um, anyway, so it, it's basically a misleading thing in a movie. Her eye, like her leg, kind of is a red herring in a way because she always gets people to distract and then. Is that what we're doing with this or no? Am I just reading too much into it? No, I, I think you're, you're reading right into it. It's, okay. it's exactly why she's there. Okay. So it's if, a visual pun. Okay. If, gotcha. If there is a, an award for taking just one of the most talented actors or actresses and totally wasting them in a production, I think this film would win simply because of what they did to her. Just I agree. My oh, you mean that. the person that shows up in uh, the first act and then comes back in the second? She's literally Chekhov's gun in this movie. Like she's literally Chekhov's gun in this movie. It it upsets yeah. me that I mean I, I obviously I'm sure she was paid very well because they had a 250 million dollar budget. Still, when you have that type of caliber, maybe there's something sitting on the cutting room floor. But it is just it should it, it's a crime to not use her more. Um, yeah. given her talent, but anyways, wasted is the word wasted. Yeah. So, uh, it yeah. goes, you know, the Lone Ranger goes into movie jail just for that alone. <laughs> Let's talk about production and development. So in March, 2000, oh, wait. oh yeah, go ahead. Well, one last actor, Barry Pepper. So he shows up in it. Oh, I love Barry right. Pepper. Yes. He's so good. And we will not hold the fact against him that he was the lead in Battleship Earth, but he's He's a very, he's a very good actor, very gifted actor. Um, and, uh, he just doesn't work enough. So when he showed up, I, you know, I remember seeing the movie and being like, Oh my God, Barry Pepper finally. Um, but then the movie changed. So I was, I was, I would have given you all the money I had in 1998. I was 15 at the time. So it was like $47 that Barry Pepper would have been one of the greatest actors of all time. Cause am I right? Are you right? Yeah. 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 It was like, the green mile and then he does battlefield earth and then it's like ah, barry pepper is not that great <laughs> hey look battlefield earth is actually a pretty good film you guys are well, i'm the, with you i'm with you right there it's, I, it, there's a crazy you know entertainment value to it you and i'm not what? kidding I, wait troy I, if you're laughing and kidding are you i'm, I'm just telling you, okay let me i'm not it. doing this podcast listen if i have two listen, people no no, no. listen 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 brad listen listen linda linda listen <laughs> <laughs> it it is a terrible film but my god it it hits a level that is so rewatchable on it on its terribleness i i we've got to talk about it because i will tell you right now if if you're grading a film in terms of entertainment <laughs> value <laughs> it certainly delivers i mean i it just it's so inept it really everything about that film is so inept it's so much it's fun the to watch. very definition of so bad god it is it's so enjoyable bad. it's I good agree. it's 100 percent. yeah yeah oh we'll we'll bring jose back for that travolta and dreads that's and yes. the weird contacts i mean uh, looking predator like it's fantastic was that, was that force whitaker in that too <laughs> 
Yeah, I can't remember. God, now I want to watch Battlefield Earth. Um, I know. I only have a DVD copy though. Darn. It, didn't they do a Blu-ray uh, edition? I don't here? know. Oh. I don't know. I I, I gotta look I'll it. search for it. I know. <laughs> I hope they do a 4K of it. Um, with Atmos. No, Mill, Mill Creek. I think Mill Creek did do a. Oh, they did. I gotta go buy that. that. After after oh, I'm done with this, too. I'm going to go buy that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. We took anymore. the we took the berry pepper segue. I apologize. No, it's fine. Let's Sorry. <laughs> let's let's talk about production <laughs> development real quick. Um, so in March 2002, Columbia Pictures announced their intention to make a Lone Ranger film. Say with, that year again, Troy. In 2002. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this is one of the things we talked about. I can't remember which episode when we we're saying if you're if your film's in production hell for X amount of years. So when we talk about production, you're going to hear a lot of things where it becomes a checkbox where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I think this thing's going to bomb, right? So 2002, Columbia Pictures wants to make a film with Classic Media, who owned the rights at the time. And the tone was supposed to be similar to The Mask of Zorro because they had a big hit with that, right? However, this is funny, Columbia suggested that Tonto be rewritten as a female love interest, right, for The Lone Ranger. No. Yeah. (laughs) No. So uh, in the projected budget at that time with Columbia was supposed to be $70 million dollars. So unfortunately, classic media couldn't make it happen at Columbia. Um, Weinstein Company was interested in purchasing, purchasing the film rights at one point. But the um, film wouldn't suck its dick, so they didn't make it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I thought we happened. were staying away from these things. No, um, so it wouldn't put out. Therefore, the deal <laughs> fell apart. Um, and what happened is they they got Jerry Bruckheimer. Hey, Tonto, show me your tits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Well, wow. you know what? it took an hour for us to get to this part. So I'm kind of proud of ourselves. <laughs> Anyways, they go to Walt Disney Pictures. Walt Disney says, yeah, we're going to make it. All right. So th- this is where it gets interesting. August 12, 2011. Okay. So nine years later, Disney announced production on Lone Ranger would be delayed due to budget concerns expressed by CEO Bob Iger and then Walt Disney Studios chairman Rich Ross. The studio and production team constrained the film's allocated budget with Gore, Bruckheimer, Depp, and Hammer equally deferring 20% of their salaries to minimize the overall cost. After addressing the project's production budget problems in October 2011, Disney confirmed that the film was back on track after the budget was reworked to give the studio a chance to recoup its costs. There you go. The Well, that was a bad move on all their parts. Yeah. <laughs> Gets worse. The filming met with several problems, including inclement weather, wildfires, and chicken pox. There was an outbreak, Ooh. right? And Yikes. the death of a crew member, yeah. Michael Andrew Bridger, on September 21st, 2012. So he was a water safety expert, and he died while working inside a large water tank. Several Ooh. cast members um, had to also receive, receive formal training on horseback riding, gunslinging, and lassoing. Uh, despite the producers citing the presence of an advisor from the Comanche Nation, some debated the adv- advisability of casting Depp as a Native American and whether the film would present a positive and accurate representation of the Comanche. Depp but has, Johnny Depp did some Ancestry.com and said, hey, wait a minute. No, he didn't. <laughs> he said. Well, I'm part Native American. He goes. Well, he believes he believes <laughs> so he didn't even do that no. he just believed it. you make like i don't know a gazillion dollars and you won't even spend the 50 bucks for ancestry.com but he comes out and <laughs> says he believes he has native american ancestry 
possibly from his great grandmother. He has said that he considered the role a personal attempt to quote, try to right the wrongs of the past in reference to portrayals of native American culture in the media. Now that's, that's one of the most pompous asshole things I've ever read in my entire life. That that's, this a, is Johnny Depp post 2003. This is why I don't like him. Hey, yeah. the chicken pox blankets. You know what? <laughs> I feel bad about that. So I'm going to play Tonto. I'm sorry for everything that happened. Yeah. There yep. we go. Yep. Uh, the craft. The craft. Um, the craft. So it had a troubled production. Um, when it when it was released, and you talked about this, Brad, it, it did not get any love from the critics. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in depth when we share some some views. And um, this is one of those that I think movies like Waterworld, etc. I think it had a stigma about it even before it hit the screen. And so a lot of people could see the bomb coming. I don't know your guys' take on it, but I do remember a lot of talk coming even before the film was released that, hey, this this one might be problematic. And, you know, in hindsight, I think there's a lot of questions in terms of you bring the team, like everybody involved with Pirates of Caribbean, and you bring it into a Western, is it going to be sort of a, um, I don't know. It's like your classic lift and shift. Yeah, sort of. If you're doing the screenplay, what is it? Control C and then Control mm-hmm. P. <laughs> Find and replace. Yeah. Um, control Z and then blank it all out. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but I'm curious about your guys' thoughts on this. Tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, now that we got all the history out of the way, we're going to share our thoughts on the Lone Ranger. So we'll be we'll be right back. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. Well, my Indian friend, times have changed. The price of silver is so high, who can afford to use it for bullets? By the way, where are my guns? Mm, sold to pay rent. And my mask? Now wearing on feet. And where's my trusty horse? How you like steak, mask man. Even the heroes of yesteryear could profit from the hilarious new movie, How to Beat the High Cost of Living, starring Susan St. James and Jane Curtin, from Filmways Pictures, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. get into it so jose i'm gonna start with you yes what are your thoughts revisiting 2013's the lone ranger how, how did the rewatch go so i remember seeing it the first time coming out of it and thinking to myself it was not that bad it was very entertaining johnny depp was funny what's everybody thinking and when i rewatched it everything blatantly wrong about it just absolutely came to light Oh, um, really? You know, you 
you know, this, this pod, what I love about your podcast, you guys, is that you, you do talk about like the warning signs that you can see, or the fact that, you know, if there's five writers, you're going to, you're in for a problem or something. And this movie just as entertaining as some portions of it are, it just has the unfortunate Frankenstein effect of having all of those bad things that can go wrong with a film or production or the writing and the acting. And it's just all squeezed into one two hour and 25 minute endeavor. Um, it There's probably about an hour and 40 minutes of movie there. It did not need to be that long. Um, I will tell you this. I, I think that on paper, I'm sure the pitch went something like, Hey, let's take something Americana like we did with the Rocketeer that people don't really know about. Cause I, I, if you ask me, I think the Lone Ranger IP, first of all, if, if there's a fan who went to see this, I'm pretty sure they were horribly disappointed at the depiction of the Lone Ranger in this. Um, but I imagine the pitch went, let's take an uh, Americana pop culture IP that somebody doesn't know will reinvent it and we'll get the people, we'll get Gore Verbinski and the people behind the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean to make it this big spectacle and it's bound to be a success. And I think what happened was is Gore and the writers were like, okay, we did it with ships. We're going to do it with trains. And they built it around two arguably beautiful, well done, spectacularly visual bombastic and amazing train sequences, one in the beginning. And then that, that gonzo one at the end, that is just, um, I mean, with the William Tell overture, just blaring and then explosions and bodies flying through the air and guns and horses everywhere. I mean, it, they probably were like, we'll build it around these two sequences, but then everything that they poured into it was just absolute junk. No reverence for the original material. Um, so my understanding, although I'm not, you know, into the Lone Ranger, my understanding of the research was that, you know, he was a Texas Ranger. His brother was, they were killed by Butch Cavendish. Um, I don't think that the, there was any of that sort of greed stuff. It was really just box them in, kill all of them. He survives. He keeps the mask on, um, never takes the mask off. Never, never is referred to as the Lone Ranger. It's always who was that masked man. Right. Um, and apparently, although he had a gun, it never was to kill anyone. It was simply to either disarm or rarely use the gun. Right. And when I say that this movie doesn't have reverence for that source material, it actually mocks those qualities. So when he says, hi, ho, silver, like we all know the Lone Ranger is, you know, Depp is like, don't ever say that again. Right. Um, and then he's like, never take off the mask. And then Army Hammer's like, I don't want to wear the mask. And it's like, wait a minute, where are we going with this? And then and then admittedly, he does shoot somebody and shoots the gun out of his hand and he doesn't kill anybody. But setting it up for him to be a lawyer who's the brother of the Texas Ranger and a buffoon who is clearly intellectual, but has no actual physical common sense. And he's a goof. Yeah. But you look like army hammer though. Like, okay. (laughs) He, he army hammer. I admittedly like a panty dropper, I think is the term that you guys use. Boxer dropper. dropper. Sorry. Yes. If you want to wear panties, that's fine. Hey, look, we're not, we're not saying you can't, we're just saying we wear boxers 
it, they exactly. drop a boxer dropper. Henry Cavill, <laughs> prime example of a boxer dropper. But go on. Yes. Uh, Army Hammer, definitely. I think I think he's absolutely gorgeous, but it just was the wrong direction to make him sort of um i think the extra extraneous of the texas rangers and a buffoon a physical goof you can't have two physical goofs so there's depp doing his chaplain thing as tonto and then army hammer as this like goof fumbling along and becoming the lone ranger and growing balls and you know really deciding that like the court system all of it is corrupt and now i'm going to be this justice person um i just think it was the wrong direction so um, I, I have a question um do you think that they were trying to copy uh, something that big trouble in little china did which was a subversion of who the hero versus the sidekick is absolutely uh, they absolutely were i mean tonto essentially is the brains and the driving force and saves him throughout this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, now I, I mean, I do question using Johnny Depp as, as Tonto. I can see why they did it. Box office draw, et cetera, et cetera. His, his uh, ties to Verbinski and Disney. Um, but I question whether that was the best casting, especially when there are true Native American actors in this. Gil Birmingham is in this. He's fantastic. There's another gentleman that's in there who's authentic chair, uh, Comanche. Um, and I also just didn't feel that some of the some of the points were off with the whole supernatural aspect of it, like the fact that clearly either it's through his flashback or he has some sort of magical ability to turn into the crow and fly around. Um, they sort of intimated that, that they intimated over the fact that the horse can do odd supernatural things like climbing, a, climbing a tree or being on the roof of like a, a house or something like that. So some of those just didn't play and the whole mocking tone, the comedic tone of it, it, it just didn't work for me. And I think it's, I think it's because I just feel like if there's two comedic forces that they just cancel each other out and there was really nobody to sort of like root for. And, and you say, I think that army hammer is gorgeous, but I question why he's so scruffy in this, you know, like he's admittedly a shockingly hairy man, um, very hairy chest. The hair crawls up his neck. It's all over his like bottom half of his face. And they just let that go. Like I, I thought he'd be more clean cut as the Lone Ranger. I know it's the, you know, the colonial times and there's the, the railroad and stuff, but he just looks dirty throughout the movie. Um, and other than those two amazing sequences and then some of the comedic stuff with Depp, anytime Depp is not doing his weird stuff, the movie is just a bore. You know, Tom Wilkinson, great actor, um, boring, uh, like just basically leaves no impression. Same with the woman, Ruth Wilson, pretty, boring, no impression. I didn't even recognize Victor. I mean, he shows up looking like Jonah Hex and I'm like, who's that? And then I'm like, oh my God, it's William Victor. Um, he's about the only one that really registers. They waste Helena Bonham Carter. That's just, the whole thing is ridiculous. And then her leg and Barry Pepper's wasted. It's, it's just, it, yeah. This is not the Lone Ranger I thought I was going to see. And even as it is, it's just not a great movie either. <laughs> okay. Wow. Came out swinging. Yeah. What about you, yeah. Brad? How, how was your viewing? 
Yes. So I I think a lot of my points echo Jose's like, I, I think that first train sequence is quite amazing. And when I started watching this movie, I was like, wait, am I going to enjoy this movie? (laughs) Um, And then uh, we get into the story stuff and it immediately hits the brakes. And anytime the movie is not doing something action wise, and it's trying to drive the plot through conversation and dialogue and character development, it just gets to the point where you're like, come on, man, like this, we, we got to do something. I, I, the fact that this movie is two and a half hours long is insane. This is a hundred, this is a hundred minute movie. You get an hour and 40 minutes, bro. Like we gotta, we gotta cut this thing down by so much. There's a part kind of the second act going into the third act. Like there's the reveal of the real bad guy and all this stuff. And I'm like, what are we even doing? This needs to be a revenge movie. It needs to be this guy killed my brother. I'm going to become the Lone Ranger and get it. Period. Don't do any of this other stuff. Like hostile takeover. Like that's what this is. It's a hostile takeover movie. Like the guy's trying to buy out all the other. Like, no, like, come on, man. Simple. Let's like keep it simple. Stupid. That applies to this movie. Let's just make it an easy revenge story. Um, there's even like a wraparound story kind of in a way where a kid is at a carnival. Like, what are we even doing? Like, that's 15 minutes. We don't need it. It's they cut back to it every now and then. We're like, it's what, what was the point of that? Because it's San there Francisco. Is there is none. You get this context of like the great earthquake or the fires of San Francisco have occurred. There, there's a whole carnival and it's basically Johnny Depp and some heavy makeup. Yeah. Telling the story, telling the story to this kid and it cuts back and forth. I, I don't understand the purpose of any of that. Nope. Nope. Um, now I find the last train sequence as fun as it is. I found it really confusing to figure out who was on what train, what are the trains doing? Where are they like going? Obviously, there's going to be the bridge because they show the bridge, but I, I find it really confusing. Yeah, it's entertaining, but I, I found myself most of the time being more confused than entertained. Um, I think the first one actually is kind of starts this movie off on a 10 and it never gets back to that point again. Um, and I was waiting for it to like get back there. Um, <clears throat> of course, they they do the thing that they do in all movies where the train is like crashing and their bodies are being flung around and they're just fine. And I'm like, these guys would be dead. Like they were handcuffed to each other. Their bodies rolled around. They would not have any arms. Um, anyway, like there's a lot of that stuff where the, the heroes narrowly escape death. Like, I don't know, 50 times in this movie. I don't know how many <laughs> times, um, but again, like, and then, and then, so I'm thinking like, okay, what was, what was the point of this movie? And I was trying to, to come up with it. And I'm like, are they trying to say that like the white man is actually the savage? Like, are we, is that, is that what it is? Like throughout the whole thing, we, we sh- we see evidence of the white guy being the villain. And we, we say, oh, like the native Americans, they're native, they're savage, all that stuff. But here we are, you know, the white man trying to do all this other stuff. I was like, is that what, I mean, yes. Like we, we have historically the, the white guy has, uh, I feel like has, they should have just called the movie Tonto. It's not a lone yeah. ranger film. It, that, and, and that might've helped as well. Um, yeah. 
because a Johnny Depp is first bill. He's the biggest name in this movie. Um, and if you're going to do that, just do it. And then uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I found this movie to be quite the slog. Like I, it gets into like, I'm like an hour and 30 minutes into it. I'm like, there's still an hour left of this thing. And it literally feels like it hasn't gone anywhere in 45 minutes. Um, I don't think you get the Lone Ranger until at the hour mark. Actually. No, and of course it's like another origin thing where, okay, I'm going to be this guy. No, I don't want to be this guy. No, I have to be this guy at the end because that's who I need to be to save this person and all this stuff. And, and okay. I have brothers. Okay. <laughs> if they die in my arms, they're not going to be like, Hey man, it's okay. If you want to fuck my wife now, like that's not what they're going to say. They're not going to yeah. say that. They don't. That say was that. very problematic. Hey, very problematic. She's always it's loved the you. old West. Come on, man. Yeah. She's, she's always loved you. You can take her now. I'm dying. Like that doesn't happen. Um, but Fickner should have been the big bad. Yeah. And there should have been none of this other stuff, this other stuff about the silver and all that. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, wasn't it always gold? Like, wasn't, because this movie is like right around 1849. It's like, aren't we like doing the gold, gold rush? Yeah, yeah. Like that's what I was thinking. And it's like, no silver. Well, what happens if someone's got a bunch of gold? Anyway, I, there was parts of this I found to be quite entertaining. And I had some really high hopes after the first 20 minutes or so. And it quickly derails. And yeah, it, uh, it's just way too long. It's way too long. The story doesn't go anywhere. The characters do circles um, and they end up right where they want to be at the very end. And it's just, we have the cavalry, like the U S there's just so much in here. That's like, why is this even here? So it's a, uh, it's a slog, man. Did, did you guys watch the mid credit sequence? Yes. Okay. Now, I, again, I, I think that goes back to that weird, I cannot understand the narrative structure of the, the kid seeing Tonto and him telling this story. I can't understand it. There is some significance that it's set in San Francisco, which is the end point for the railroad. But then at the end, he's appears to be walking back from San Francisco back to where he through the desert first. Yeah, through the desert. And it's, I just, the whole thing boggles my mind. Why was that even in there? They could have excised that whole thing. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know there was a, I did not know that there was a mid credit sequence. I turned this off immediately. So <laughs> that, first, I was like, click. That was my first watch because for why I kept it going was I wanted to listen to the Hans Zimmer soundtrack. So I'll get to that in a minute. So I'm listening to it. And then all of a sudden this mid credit sequence starts and Johnny Depp is in his uh, white man uniform, let's call it that, right? And he's slowly stumbling through the desert. So the camera's stationary. You have this fantastic, beautiful vista. And Johnny Depp's back is to the camera. And he's this old guy in the prosthetics. And he's, he's just stumbling, right, into the sunset. And as that's him slowly walking into the, to the desert sunset... The rest of the credits start to roll at that point. So I, I, I'm watching this. I'm like, wow, that pretty much sums up the film. Like that sequence <laughs> sums up the film. It takes forever to get to the end. Like watching Johnny Depp stumble through the desert in the, in the 
I could have just watched that and went, Hey, I saw the film. Cause that's exactly what it was. I, um, I will. I will admit though, that damn theme music, that, that Lone Ranger so good. songs are kicking in at the very end there. And I'm like, all right, you kind of got me movie. I have no reverence for that theme music at William all. Tell. So, but it's so good. And when they start doing it, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're getting me a little bit. So, before, so I, I hate to admit that I feel I felt like an old man in that sequence. It was that whole last train sequence. It was so loud and bombastic. I was like, ah, it was like hurting my ears actually. And then just the William Tell over and over and over again. It it was like being hit in the head with well, a hammer. It was here's, awful. Here's the two things I like about. It. I love Hans Zimmer's score. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think he does I a agree. variation of the William Tell overture in that back part, which is just fantastic. It really sets the tone, and it has this velocity in the music that matches the chaos that's going on with these two trains. But even outside of that, there's this theme that goes on with um, anytime something ominous is happening and and you get this overture that kicks in, it's so good. It It's reminiscent a little bit of the Dark Knight theme mm-hmm. a, a bit, but it works really well. Uh, from an orchestration standpoint. So this is a film that I could easily see myself buying the soundtrack, the orchestral soundtrack to and listening. Cause I love it. I love this. Uh, it's the highlight of the movie for me. I do like army hammers performance in here. I do see them trying to copy the Jack Burton um, performance in army hammer and, and trying to do that relationship between, well, let's take the sidekick and make him the hero and take the traditional hero and make him the sidekick. They're trying to do that here. I'll say this. Army Hammer is good as a reluctant hero. I think he can easily transition from the bumbling goody two-shoes idiot um, to a competent action hero. I think he makes that transition fine. I would say from an acting perspective, he is the highlight of this film. Those are the Mm -hmm. only two good things I would have about this. Um, This has a great opening sequence. You guys have already talked about it with the train. I think it has a fun closing sequence with the two trains. It is chaotic. What's better than one train? Two, two trains, two trains yes. and a horse. Um, <laughs> and, and it works for me. It works. And, the, and I think the music makes it work and all the stuff that's going on. But I don't remember a thing about what happens between those two sequences. I have, I, I sat here before we recorded. I'm like, dude, I got to go back to Wikipedia and read the plot because I don't remember what happens. Um, I even forgot uh, Helena Bottom Carter was in the film until she showed up at the end. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's in this film. The the middle of this movie is visual narcolepsy. It is so mm-hmm. hard to stay awake uh, because it's so damn boring, um, which is strange because the movie is so concerned with how it looks and it wants to visually impress you with the vistas and everything that's going on. But in doing that, and this is my comment kind of when we were talking about the director, um, Gore has a, has a problem that when he gets wrapped up in that, he will forget in some cases to tell an interesting story. So you'd think that the visual stuff would at least keep you awake. Nope, not in this sucker, except for those two train sequences. Um, Depp is pretty terrible in this. Uh, none, none of his humor works. The bird stick on his head gets old really quick. Um, this is a variation of the Jack Sparrow, the Captain Jack Sparrow character. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
and I'm, this is what fascinates me though about it. How do you take something as interesting as the Captain Jack Sparrow character and make it boring? Like Depp, Depp is so good that he take, he took a very eccentric, iconic character and took all of the elements from that character and, and put it in Tonto and made it super boring. Have you seen the latter Pirates movies? Yes, I've seen all the Pirates films. Yeah. Um, I feel like he's sleepwalking in those I, I do. Yeah. He's sleepwalking he took the through paycheck. all of it. Yeah. He did, so, but I've, I've, this is, if, 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 the, if those pirate movies have, you know, varying degrees of return based on the original character and it gets less and less and less, this is the bottom of the barrel version of that character. Mm-hmm. It, it's terrible. Um, and there's so much plot, so much explanation. It's so bloated. This is an example of the big budget bloated studio film. It's absolutely terrible. I, I I really would go on a limb here and say people should just, as good as those trade sequences are, they're not worth the price of having to sit through this piece of shit. Oh, wait. I mean, you have to wonder, God, I feel like I like this movie the most. Is that? I feel that's really weird. <laughs> it is weird. And what's funny is I'm sitting here going, why? Why am I giving Ghost of Mars a pass? Why? Why did I sit there and go, hey, that's not a bomb. I really enjoyed it. And when I sit back and think about it, I'm like, Ghost of Mars knew exactly what it was going to do. It was this action. It delivers. It gets in. It gets out. It hits all the boxes. Um, and and it knows exactly what it is. It delivers on that. Doesn't overstate. It's welcome. It's gone. Does it have some narrative issues? Yes. Uh, or do all the performances work? Well, not necessarily, but it delivers on what it's trying to be, which is this action Western in space, right here. You have an actual space. Yeah. Here you have a Western that doesn't deliver on anything that should make it a fun adventure Western film. It bores you to tears. You have to wonder if the success of the pirates movies that somehow there was a discussion that like maybe Gore could not do wrong. And so he was given carte blanche to just put all of the stuff in there that he thought was great, that he thought was fantastic and visual. And then nobody bothered to go into it and watch it and say, you know what, you should cut that or you should not do this or you should not do that. Um, I feel like that's kind of what happened here, but, but I disagree. I think, I think Depp is super entertaining in this. Um, uh, yes, some bits of it get kind of like Challenge. tiresome, Challenge. but I, tiresome. he if, made me laugh. He absolutely made me laugh. If you never seen and, a Pirates of the Caribbean film, I would agree with you. I, I would. I, w- I would say, yes, you're right, Jose. If you've never seen a Pirates of the Caribbean film, but if you have seen a Pirates of the Caribbean film and you want it to is see the shame like, stick. It, it is it is a pale yeah. copy. This film is all hubris. Um, I, I guarantee it is a film by committee where it's like, we did this in pirates. We should do this here. Oh, Johnny Depp can pull. It's all of that. And I'm, I'm sure Gore's in the back going, well, I'm, I'm going to film it this way and we're going to do this. And I've got these visuals. Everybody got so caught up in trying to make the perfect recipe for a blockbuster. They forgot to tell a good story. And then Tonto's backstory. Why saddle such a iconic character with this horrific, almost traitorous backstory? Like that was when they go into that, I'm like, whoa, what? what am I now watching? Like it was just, it, it was odd. And then the whole using the trick thing 
uh, the trick watch thing as oh, a MacGuffin yeah. to sort of like reveal because you see it right in the beginning and then you realize when you get Tonto's backstory that the flipping of that watch you're like oh that's coal or whatever but still at the same time it was it was like y- you didn't need all that stuff in there to get to that they, they could have cut so much out oh and then the first time you see Cole, you're like oh that's the bad guy <laughs> i know yeah instantly it's not a surprise. he's, like, he's oh, making moves oh, on a married guy. woman and yeah. oh the yeah. railroad yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, it's totally. the bad guy. yeah of course it's the bad guy now in the screenwriter's defense he does not get together with that woman remember he leaves her so that at least worked out because it's that's so completely dumb. problematic that he's in love with a married woman and they, they have a child i thought they were going to reveal that that was his kid that she was going to go, by the way, it's not, it's not your brother's son. It's, it's your son, but that never happened. But anyway, I, I, yeah. I, I really rolled my eyes when he's getting his watch or reward for saving the town. And they're like, son, it's time to take off the mask. Like they don't know who this guy is. Are, are you serious? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I get the whole Superman glasses thing, put on a mask and you, you got to buy into it at some point, but he's sitting there making googly eyes with his brother's wife right and he has this relationship how would they not know it isn't that that you know brother um and the attorney it, it's just dumb it's and the 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 other thing I, that also i thought of was you know okay they take down coal they take down the the corruption and the greed of the railroad but what's next for them like if there was going to be a sequel Who's the next big bad? Like, there's not even any hint of any sort of potential of uh, of a justice sort of future. Well, it like, it's well, we weird. didn't show William Victor die. <laughs> well, that's true too. Yes. Yeah. I don't. I, well, they I, survived that first train crash at the beginning of the movie, so I was like, oh, obviously, yeah. Brad. Screenwriting one hundred and one. Heroes will always survive that. Villains can't survive that. They're just not built that. They way. didn't show the body though. Yeah, that's true. 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 Cole was, and who knows? Maybe him and Barry Pepper would have gotten together, and yeah. there would have been some sort of craziness. Um, there was one other thing I was going to say. Mm. Yeah, I just, I oh, props, props at least for historical accuracy using the fact that the railroad was built by people of color as well as uh, Asians, mm-hmm. and you know, props at least for that. But then we had to have the you know minutes of get the Chinaman out of China here or whatever. Man. God damn it. <laughs> I, I mean, does, does this movie constitute as railroad porn? Because there's a lot of railroad in this. And a lot of explosions and splintering wood. Splintering wood is a theme throughout yeah. this entire movie. You would think with that much explosion in a film, it would be fun. And it just is like, I guess Even I'm, when that bridge blows up, you're like, eh. Eh, who cares? You, you well, really it's a punchline. They use it as a punchline. Yeah. Oh, what happened with the bridge? Boom. Right. And then we all know that's where the actually, you know, what? now that I think about it. Yes, maybe it was a gold rush because all the silver they took and then it ended up in the in the brink. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> there was no other silver to mine because they mined it and then it went into the river. It's, this yeah. movie's difficult to talk about because literally for I don't know, an hour and 30 minutes, nothing happens. No, I agree. I agree with you. If you're, if you're out of a film, if you're breaking down to percentages, you've got 20% that you can, you can actually come back and go from a technical standpoint, from a visual standpoint, from, um, cinematography, it all works. 20% yeah, and, of and it looks expensive. Works. You're like, okay, I can see where they spent the money on. Yeah. That. It's all there on display. The other 80%. It's so hard to talk about because nothing happens. Like, and I, I, 
I don't like talking about these films of, of this nature because for 80% of the time you're like, it's boring. And I know that's not a great criticism. You can't sit here and say, well, how can you talk in depth about a film and just call it boring? When you watch this film, the only thing you have uh, probably from an adjective standpoint to go, it's bloated and boring. That's it. I mean, that that's a summary. You can't it talk feels about like it. It's a good it feel, word. It feels like work getting through it, man. It like, does. <laughs> it really does. Like my, know, phone, and, my phone was like so close. I'm like, I can't pick it up. I can't pick it up because I'm going to not pay attention because this, so, this movie is so easy not to pay attention to. It is. And I know I, ta- I know I talked up Boyan Bazelli, but I, I have a love-hate relationship with the way that this movie looks because I think they were kind of going for a black and white-esque kind of thing. There's really only pops of color in the wraparound narrative. Um, and I think they were trying to lens it in a sort of a black and white type of style. But some of the desaturatedness just looks plain ugly in some scenes. Again, I know I've talked up Boyan, but and 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 it the rest of the movie is well shot. But there are some scenes where it's just like, OK, did you just hit, you know, black and white on the Apple, Apple, Apple Final Cut Pro or whatever like it? Some of it does not look great. And yeah. then some of it does. So I, I love the ugliness. It went across the board. I mean, if the it, dirtiness of it. Yeah. Like, just yeah. how the dirty gritty. it is, the grittiness. They they make your heroes. I mean, contextually and visually, the Tonto makeup and everything looks great. How it's caked on everything else. Oh, you so, mean the copyright infringement? The copyright infringement <laughs> looks great. There's, with permission, with Sattler's permission. Yeah, I love the <laughs> fact that everything just goes for this Western grit. It's just even visually that level of detail. To me, they put so much detail in those things. Um, even in um, Carter's costume and stuff for her 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 red character. I, I love all of it, but it's still not visually impressive. It does, yeah, there's it, like all that detail on that ivory leg or whatever in it. Yeah, all the details that, there, that but it still doesn't kind of pop visually because I think that leg in the context of what's going on, it's just not interesting. Yeah. So I and I was really disappointed because I remember seeing this for the first time and going, man, I I I wasn't excited about watching it, but after watching it, I'm like, I think I had the same reaction that you did, Jose, where it's like, hey, I, I think this is actually okay. It's pretty good. And sitting down to this one, it was, I remember there was a really cool train sequence. And so I was excited about seeing that. But watching this again, I'm like, oh my gosh, this this is terrible. And most of the time I, I could recommend something like this and go, look, it's got its problems. It's still fun. You've got two banger sequences in there. But it's rare to run across a film to where the negative and the whole of the film is so bad it takes away from these bright moments within it i usually don't try to tell people how to do their job because what the hell do i know but you gotta cut that kid out of this movie that's the first thing if i'm someone that makes decisions on this movie i'm like cut out the kid cut out that wraparound shit get it out of here that's 15 minutes now we're a little bit more manageable maybe we can find another 15 minutes there's an out you gotta lose an hour out of this thing at least yeah at least i think there's 90 minutes of a film here that it should have been a yeah. It should, it should have been, been a ninety minutes. minute in and out because there's not it. There's not. Well, you, you mentioned something about Tano's background in that story. That actually would be fascinating if you did something with it, but you'd have to take a different. Um, uh, 
you'd have to take a different take on the screenplay. You'd have to go a different place with it. But all f- that, all that, all that backstory and all that stuff was for him just to be able to on the train to say bad trade. And then you're like, <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm shocked. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Wow. All a setup for a punchline that wasn't yeah. even worth it. Yeah. 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 Well, any other By the way, I watched a ton of Army Hammer movies because I distinctly remember um, reading it was either a blog article or something where the the crux of the article was stop trying to make Army Hammer happen. Right. Um, That apparently he, you know, comes from a rich family. Mm -hmm. He's good looking. So why not make him an actor? Um, And it was just this takedown of every single performance of his after the social network. Now, I'm going to say that when he's aligned with a director who knows actors, he does really well. So, for example, um, uh, Social Network, David Fincher, Netflix's remake of Rebecca with Ben Wheatley, who did High Rise. He's really great in that. Um, There was a movie called Mine that was it was okay um but he you know hammer's actually not bad in that there's also a weird horror movie called wounds that he was pretty successful in, even if the movie sort of fell apart so i think the and call me by your name i saw i watched that um he's very very good in that and so he's good he's he's oliver right yeah yeah god call me by your name is that's a great movie okay yeah he's need to rewatch that he's great and even in um even in Man from Uncle, um, Guy Ritchie, he got a great performance out of him. Like his his Russian was spot on. That accent was great, you know. So I think he's not he's not a bad actor, and he's actually pretty good in this. You're right. The comedic timing is great. There's a scene where he when he gets shot and the scream that he yells out. I'm like, that's classic. Like you know, uh, John Ritter stuff from like Three's Company or something. You know, is. he's really um, he's really good in this film, but it's yeah. just it's so sad that all of his all of his elements where he he pops right they yeah they just get overshadowed by the blandness of the storytelling in the film that's going on. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. Well, any any other thoughts about this one? All right. Well, I'm going to kick it over to you, Jose. Final verdict: 2013's The Lone Ranger. Is it a bomb? It is unfortunately a bomb, a very long bomb. <laughs> I, um, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm shocked. I am shocked. <laughs> I am shocked. Were you, oh, you thought I was going to like it. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to love it. Uh, even I have my limits. <laughs> I will say I will say this, though. You are right about the score. Um, it's it's not at all like Pirates. It's dark. Yeah. Um, it's also it also has its moments where it's heroic. Um, I'm going to seek out the the score. I, I, I really think I want the score. I, I, I yeah. love everything about that score. Yeah. All right, Brad. But it's tw- a bomb. 2013's uh, Lone Ranger. Is it a bomb? Yes, it's a very over the long bomb. OK. Uh, all right. I, I, I found this interesting. So Gore Verbinski, Jerry Bruckheimer, Army Hammer and Johnny Depp openly criticized the American critical reception of the film, arguing the negative coverage surrounding the project was influenced by reports of production troubles with Bruckheimer accusing critics of quote, reviewing the budget instead of the film itself. Okay. So let me set the record straight here um, for everybody. The critics are right. If you take a look at what's on the screen, you will see this is just a bad movie. And th- this is 100% a bomb. It's it's also proof, and I'm sorry, Brad, 
Tarantino can make a good movie, but doesn't necessarily know what a good movie is. He's got some takes. Yeah. He's got some takes. And I, I think Tarantino is one of those that likes to put these takes out there to get people talking. But if Tarantino actually thought this was a good film, I would go, okay, I I don't want to hear. <laughs> I think he did criticize some of the middle like we did. He, he, he does. Gave it more I think he pass. says the first 45 minutes are great. The last train sequence is fantastic. He doesn't like the middle part so much, but he still thinks it's a good film and the best of 2013. Um, hey, man, I just like those choo-choos, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's what I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, Brad, you had never seen the 1981 Legend of Lone Ranger. Is that right? Mm-mm. Okay. And you had seen half of it, Jose? Yes. Okay. So I, I got the Blu-ray. Uh, Shop Factory has a... It's not really a special edition because it's just the film and a trailer. It stars, and I love this this name, Clinton Spillsbury as the Lone yes. Ranger, right? <laughs> Who had a drinking problem and got into a bunch of fights during making the film. Spills. Uh, yeah. Michael Horse plays Tonto. And a very young... Christian- oh, he doesn't play Silver? No, Damn it. no. Christopher Lloyd is the Butch Kavanaugh character. He's the villain. Wow. Yeah. Very young Christopher Lloyd. So here's, okay. here's some interesting tidbits. In 1979, Jack Rather, who owned the Lone Ranger character, obtained a court order prohibiting um, the original Lone Ranger from the TV show making appearances as the Lone Ranger. So Rather was in the process of making a new film version of the story and believed that Moore's public appearance and character would undercut the value of the character in the film and also advance any rumors that the 65-year-old Moore would be playing the title role in the new picture, which he did not, right? So they sue the original (laughs) television actor and say, you can't show up as the Lone Ranger anymore because we're getting ready to do this 1981 film and you're going to give us bad publicity. Rather's move was disastrous. Moore responded by filing a countersuit and then slightly changed his costume so replacing the mask with a pair of Foster Grant wraparound sunglasses and participating in the company's who's behind that um, Foster Grant. So those glasses <laughs> ad campaign, the public was strongly in favor of more as evidence when movie goes moviegoers stayed away from Rather's film. The legend of the Lone Ranger was released in 1981 was panned by critics and earned only $12 million at the box office two-thirds of the film's budget. The legal proceedings between Moore and Rather dragged on until 1984 when Rather suddenly dropped the lawsuit permitting Moore to again make public appearances as the Lone Ranger. Unfortunately, Rather died of cancer two months after dropping the suit. Mm. Yeah. So that's a little bit of crazy history. Now, what I'm telling you, if... If you've seen The Legend of the Lone Ranger, 1981, all they did in the 2013 version is remake of this film. So instead of choo-choo trains, the 1981 version starts with a stagecoach, has a big opening thing, and there's some crazy stunt work in it too. Like I'm watching it going, holy cow, those guys are dead. And instead of trains at the end of the film, there's a big action sequences in Christopher Lloyd's compound. Everything in between, but they just have one villain, not two, is pretty much the same as the 2013 version. So (laughs) after watching the 1981 version, it looks great too. I don't recommend it. It has its moments. It's only 100 minutes. So yeah. Thank God. 
but whereas the two and a half hour movie felt like two and a half hours, this hundred minute version felt like a two and a half hour version because that yeah. middle part drags. So it has a great opening. It has a great ending sequence, just like this one. But the middle, it hits every story beat like the 2013 version, and it's boring as hell. And hmm. uh, Clinton Spillsbury is, man, it's it's like watching a white loaf of bread that can't act. That's that's how I would describe wow. his performance. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's terrible. Um, Christopher, do they go back? Do they go back to this well ever again? Like we're gonna see the Lone Ranger on the big screen? In our I, don't, I don't know. They could. I mean, the eighty-one. The 2013 feels like a copycat of the 81 with a bunch of Pirates of the Caribbean references in there, right? Um, yeah. And the 81 is concentrated on Lone Ranger. The thing I do like about it, though, that it has the same problem. It takes an, it takes like an hour for you to get to the Lone Ranger stuff. And then when he becomes the Lone Ranger, it kind of picks up. But it, it has that origin story problem. Um, but if, if I had to pick between the two, I'm, I might like the 81 version a little bit more just because it's shorter. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I don't know. They're to me, they're both kind of garbage. <laughs> um, I, I just, I probably wouldn't watch either of them. So for anybody who's interested, the 80, the 81 moment, the 81 has its moments, uh, just like the 2013 has its moments, but cohesively as a movie, neither of them are, are really great films. So they both bombed and I think they both deserve to bomb. Um, now, so I read, one other oh i'm sorry go ahead no i was gonna say the 81 bombed because of bad publicity and all the other stuff and and if you were to look at the release schedule of what it was going up against you're like yeah this thing didn't stand a chance so it makes total sense why it bombed but it it really had some some bad publicity going into it and the 2013 had some similar stories to it but um if if you grade them both on the films i, I think they're deserved box office flops wow history repeats itself do you think Bruckheimer at all took a page from history and we're like you judge the bad person, not the movie itself, <laughs> just like they did. <laughs> I, that's why that's why it's crazy to me that even in the screenplay credits for 2013, nobody was like, well, listen, whoever wrote the Pirates of the Caribbean. So they got those two screenwriters. They came over here. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they're like, well, let's grab the writers from the 81 version and put them in a room with the Pirates guys. And that's what we got, because it's pretty much the same film. Right. Um, so the one other interesting tidbit I read about the Lone Ranger is, I think, the original rights holders who did the radio shows, yeah. um, and this is super weird. They eventually did a spinoff where apparently the Lone Ranger's nephew became the Green Hornet um, and that they were related. Oh. That was the weirdest thing. But then after the rights passed to somebody else they never made light of that connection and green hornet sort of took on its own sort of like livelihood or whatever but there for a brief time there was a weird connection he was the green hornet was the lone ranger's nephew hmm. um just just bringing justice to like a different setting like an urban setting i would i would love to do a month of just uh movies based on old radio show properties like the phantom the shadow, the shadow, stuff like they've the all spirit. bombed. Yeah, they they all yes. bombed. But it, it would be fun to go back and revisit that um, because I, I have a soft spot for a lot of those old radio shows. Um, I really like listening to them. You want to get to some feedback, Brad? Sure. We got a ton. Uh, Nathan cool. sent us in a couple, so I'm going to start with this one. 
recent discussions on Throwdown and Sanchiro Sugata got me thinking, along with Troy's mention of Strangers on a Train's influence on Throw Mama from the Train. So here's his question. What non-franchise films do you enjoy more when watching them together? And if it matters, in what order would you watch them? So Hmm. I'll start. The two movies that have kind of become an annual um, household tradition for us is to watch Frankenstein and then watch Young Frankenstein. So, I mean, obviously one is a parody of the other, but it's really cool to sit back and watch the old universal classic monster films, even Bride of Frankenstein. And then Young Frankenstein is is one of the funniest films ever of all time. <laughs> but what's great about it is how just on spot it got the feel of the classic universal monsters on top of layering and all that comedy. So I, I think, you know, Throw Mama from the Train is sort of the same variation. It takes strangers on a train and, and adds the comedic element to it. In our house, we're, we're huge Universal Monster fans, but we love watching Young Frankenstein and, and the Frankenstein films. You guys got uh, any picks? Yeah. So, I mean, this one might be kind of obvious, but I think Con Air and The Rock go well together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I would also say Paths of Glory. I just did this the other night. Paths of Glory and Dr. Strange. Or, sorry. <laughs> Dr. <Doctor> Strange. <laughs> what? <laughs> And strange love. Sorry. Yeah. uh, I was like, wow. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah, Explain (laughs) Uh, the connection, please. (laughs) Yes. Here we go. And uh, I actually do this more than I'd like to admit. And I did it the other day. Um, Airheads and Wayne's world. Okay. Oh, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Yeah. All right. That's a good one. You got any, I can't, I can't, the only thing that comes to mind and I just, maybe this is just who I am. My, my like darkness. Um, is uh war of the roses would seem to go good with mr and mrs smith oh um, yeah that's real good um yeah yeah but i can't think of anything else <laughs> okay uh he says P.S. oh maybe maybe talented mr ripley and mr brooks how about that oh that might be a good one that's that's good i like that yeah um he says p.s i'm still trying to figure out the next film to bug you about rhinestone fits the bill losing seven million 25 percent of its budget but I think Troy would nuke the world before he would watch that again. I'll watch Rhinestone mm. again. Two icons, two icons, Rhinestone. Yes. Yeah. No, Brad, you won't By the watch way, Kelly, Kelly Clarkson um, uh, just redid nine to five with Dolly Parton. That single releases, I think in a couple of weeks. Okay. Anyway, yeah. um, he also <laughs> said, uh, listening to you guys talk about Jason Statham and goes to Mars episode reminded me of this little tidbit. Dwayne, the rock Johnson, Vin Diesel and Jason Statham are all contractually obligated to not lose any fights, at least in regards to their involvement with the Fast and Furious franchise. That makes sense. What? Question yeah. mark. Yeah. Really? No, I, I, I've seen this pop up in a couple of times. So his question is, if you two were movie stars, what goofy stipulation would you have in your contracts? Oh. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Mm, so I think Jack Nicholson has one about Lakers games. Like he, he won't work during Lakers games because he's a big Lakers fan. So I would have something like that about sports teams. If I, you know, anytime they're playing, I automatically get time off. Oh, I I think mine would have to be. Or like blue M&Ms. Like they all got to be blue. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We would have to have Swedish fish somewhere in the film, like me eating Swedish fish and then Jackie Chan references. As long as those were, I would do any script with those two things in there. Um, That's a good one. I think I would have to maybe interact with, 
a cupcake at least some at some point. <laughs> yes, that's true. That would yes. be good for you. Uh, this is from Michael. Uh, Hi, not a bombers. I'm writing to you in defense of ghost of Mars. Oh, Brad. Oh, yeah, here we go. Yes. Well, kind of, although it's one of the weaker films in Carpenter's filmography, there's still a lot to like about it. It was also around this time that Carpenter was working with independent studios as he had become tired of the big Hollywood corporations after a number of box office failures for ghost of Mars. He signed a deal with screen gems in which he had total creative control but I think that ultimately worked against him as he made some questionable choices, such as the editing style and jumping around the timeline of the movie. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Having said that, upon rewatch the film, I had a lot of fun with this. Yay, Michael. Thank you. Hey, man. I'm always happy that people like movies. Like, that's great. Yeah. Good for you. He says Carpenter I hated it. <laughs> Carpenter said at the time that this was a popcorn film, and that's perhaps the best way to view it. It's dumb, but a whole lot of fun. As oh, always, I didn't keep eat popcorn. That was my problem. Your problem is fun goes to die where you're at for some reason. It, it's a super dark popcorn film, though. I mean, there's heads on spikes and and uh, errant hands being chopped off, all in the name of impressing a girl. Yeah, we didn't I even mean, talk about that. It's got it's got a couple of comedic beats that work. So yeah, it's, I, hey, it's funnier than uh, the Lone Ranger. <laughs> yes yeah that's true and decidedly shorter yes <laughs> better it's i better. would watch ghost of mars yeah i would watch it before this movie. yeah you would watch better. it twice instead mm -hmm. of watching the lone ranger that's true. absolutely <laughs> yeah. uh i got i got one more from philip says i just listened to the cloak and dagger podcast it definitely brings back that 80s nostalgia i never really bothered to find out who were the people behind the scenes very interesting richard franklin and tom holland were involved Thinner from Tom Holland is a 90s guilty pleasure for me. And Richard Franklin's Road Games and the underrated Psycho 2 are favorites. And it got me thinking of Bombs and with Anne Hesh's recent passing, I mm. remembered that late 90s mega bomb Gus Van Sant's Shot for Shot Psycho remake with her. I remember when that was announced, I had much high, higher hopes for it. In my opinion, it didn't work mostly due to the actor's new takes on the characters. It was an impressive and up-and-coming cast. Vince Vaughn, Anne Heche, Julian Moore, William H. Macy, Viggo Mortensen, Phil Baker Hall. Each one just made their character either more dumb or less sympathetic. Only Vaughn came out halfway decent, in my opinion. Anyways, the podcast was great and made me remember all of that. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to some of your October podcasts. He also made a recommendation and sent a link to a Nick Cage Top Gun ripoff called Firebirds from 1990. Yes, with Sean Young. Yes, I saw that in the theater and I loved it. So we need to talk about that one too. Fantastic. And yes. not at all awful like stealth. Oh, yes. No, this this is when they're trying to teach Nick, Nick Cage to fly a helicopter with like one eye. So they put him in a Jeep with that contraption. And oh, yeah, we got to watch that again. That's yeah, fun. it's like military torture is fun. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you see Anish's butthole in the Psycho remix, don't you? What? You do. Well, you see your brown eye. Oh, you do. Boy. You also see Viggo Mortensen's butt. Mm. Um, Vaughn gets to masturbate, or there's sounds of masturbation as he's looking in the in the whatever. So with the original Psycho, they couldn't do certain things because of the code, and they yeah. put that back into the Gus Van Sant one. Um, honestly, though, um, I, the gentleman's name was Philip. Yes. I don't. I don't know that they changed any character really, except for Julianne Moore. She does that weird active thing where she like kicks uh, Norman Bates ass at the end, which was not in the movie at all. 
um, the original, but I think everybody else pretty much played it straight as, as a kind of like remake. So I don't think I've, um, I, I don't, I don't think I ever saw it. I probably, I, oh, I need to go check it out. Just I've seen so it a see. ton of times and listen to the commentary. The commentary is hysterical. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Well, Nathan, Michael, Philip, thank you for the feedback and your comments and the recommendations. Uh, Brad, how does, uh, how does everybody reach out to us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have a website, notabombpodcast.com. You can hit the contact us button and leave us feedback there. Jose, what uh, what's in your future? Uh, you're coming back here. On, we're we're going to beg you to come back on a few more shows now that you're all famous and stuff with your own podcast. But uh, <laughs> what, what do you guys got in the hopper? I mean, how, how does everybody find you again? And, and tell us what's coming out. Uh, so we are at uh, anchor.fm backslash watch hyphen skip. We have Instagram presence and Twitter presence under watch skip plus. Um, we are releasing our Thursday episode. We typically like to um, not reveal the what we're reviewing or oh. what the pluses are. Um, but I can say uh, we're going to release our episode for Beast actually Ooh. this week. Mm. Okay. So you were the ones that saw that movie. <laughs> yes. One of the, one of four people <laughs> that apparently Idris went to go Elba. see. This and now what? 3000 years of whatever it is. The, oh Donging. yeah. Longing. Sorry. Longing. longing yeah. <laughs> I want to say yearning, but yeah. Longing. I mean, both of those huge bombs. Not doing well, not doing well. I think he needs a new And that's agent. disappointing for, that's disappointing for Miller too. Cause I love George Miller, but I haven't seen that yet. I have to. Well, I cannot wait for the new episode. What you what you guys are doing so far is is fantastic. It's a lot of fun to listen to. Thank oh, you so thank much you. for taking your time out and kind of putting that out in the world for everybody to enjoy. I mean, seriously, you, you guys give we love some it. Great commentary on the films you, you're watching. Thank you, thank you, and thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I, like I said, this is kind of like family. I think I became famous because of this show. So this is always going to be my home. So everybody you loves you. Um, I feel, I feel used. Uh. <laughs> uh, Brad, what are we doing next week? We are going to go to back to, I guess. Have we done a, have we done a film that is based on a book by um, Michael Crichton yet? Huh? No, we haven't. No, we okay. haven't done it. So we're going to 1995. We are doing the film Congo based on, a Michael Crichton film. And I believe one Mr. Bruce Campbell is in that movie. So uh, I can't wait for Congo. Uh, I'm just going to forewarn everyone. I will do the gorilla impression the whole entire time um, because I think it's the greatest thing in cinema history. So there. So wait, which gorilla? Like a- Amy, Amy, not yeah. happy. Amy. Yeah. <laughs> Watching ugly, Brad, ugly gorilla. Watching Brad do this impersonation in person, especially after a few beers, there is nothing better on earth than to see that live. It 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 truly is fantastic. It's it's art, in my opinion. <laughs> ugly, ugly gorilla. <laughs> ugly gorilla. Uh, I I'm not gonna say it yet because we're still working on it, but we could be releasing a special episode in the next week or so. So keep your eyes and ears out for that. So if all pans out, you might be getting two episodes from us next week. Um, one 
for Congo and the other one for a super secret surprise that I hope all comes together. But Brad and I oh are, God, are working. Sounds exciting. Yeah, Brad and I are working behind the scenes uh, pretty hard on this one. Um, so I, I'm super excited to talk about it, but I can't just yet because I need to make sure all the all the things align and we can make it happen. But it so far it's looking pretty good, looking pretty good. So there you go, little little bit of a surprise for you. Brad, Wishing you all else? the luck on the secret show. <laughs> yes, I, 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 it looks like it's coming together. So, uh, anything else, Brad? No, you should do your listen. Oh, I don't know when you're yes. listening thing. Hey, listen. I don't know when you're listening. <laughs> the morning, afternoon, or evening. I hope you enjoyed our little take on uh, 2013's Lone Ranger. Come back next week when we get to hear Brad's fantastic artistic impression of all of the gorillas in Congo. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So make sure you watch that. Then come back here. We'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. Ugly, ugly gorilla. Amy. <laughs> <laughs>